The following audio is from LifePoint Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about LifePoint Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. Well, good morning. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of Jonah, obviously. Uh, If you want to grab those and open them up to chapter 3. Uh, my name's Eric. I'm uh, the lead teaching pastor here at the church. And so if you're new with us, uh, let me just tell you, we've been going through uh, the book of Jonah for, uh, this is our fifth week now. And uh, so we're going to try and cover the whole chapter three today. All right. That's going to be a miracle in itself, if you know me at all. Uh, and so Jonah chapter three is what we're going to cover. Let me kind of catch you up if, if you're new to the story. Uh, this is a true story. The, the, the book of Jonah is not just some simply uh, some fairy tale or some fable, but, but we believe that it's, a, it's an actual true story. Jesus referred to it as a sign uh, for people, a sign that actually points to him. And so in Jonah uh, chapter one, it says this. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come before me. So Jonah is a prophet of God. He's been called by God to go to Nineveh, which Ninevites happen to be Jonah's enemy. He doesn't like them because they're a wicked people. They're a hard people. They're oppressing the Israelites, and they are basically enemies. And so God says, I want you to go to your enemy, and I want you to tell him to repent. Jonah didn't think that was a good idea. All right, and so instead of going to Nineveh, basically what he does is he turns and he goes the other way. And so he gets on a boat and he heads toward Tarshish, which is actually in the opposite direction. And instead of saying, God, okay, I want to do what you tell me to do. God, I want to go where you want me to go. God, here's my heart. Here's my life. Here's all of me. I will say what you want me to say. He actually says, no way. I'm going to go this way. He gets on the boat and God caused this huge storm to arise, so much so that everybody on the boat, everyone on the ship thought they were going to die, right? They started throwing their, their stuff overboard. They started throwing everything overboard. And Jonah comes up from the, from the belly of the boat and basically says, it's my fault. Throw me overboard. And you know what the sailors do? They don't do it right away. They're like, no, we're not going to do that to you. We're going to spare you. And he's like, no, we're all going to die if you don't, right? And so finally they fight against God. They fight against God until finally they realize they can't beat God. And they throw him overboard. Uh, In the verse uh, there in chapter 1, it says that the Lord spoke to a great fish and he came and he swallowed up Jonah. Imagine this, right? Imagine this. They throw Jonah over into the sea. The sea immediately gets calm. The wind stopped blowing. The rain stopped. And they're like, oh, that's awesome. And then all of a sudden, this giant fish comes out of the water and gobbles him up. And they're all freaked out. It says, it says that they're freaked out, and so they began to fear the Lord exceedingly, and they offered to sacrifice to the Lord. Like, this God is the God of the animals, the fish, and the sea, and the rain, and they all began to cry out to God. And so Jonah was in the fish for three days and three nights. And it was after the three days and the three nights that he began to actually pray to God. Three days of nastiness. I mean, three days of just stink and wretch and darkness. And after three days, he began to cry out to God. And so a couple weeks ago, we looked at chapter 2, which was his prayer of repentance. And so Jonah, in his darkest time, in his 
loneliest hour, in this moment of his most desperate situation of his life, God finally captures Jonah's heart. And what we've learned is that the place of surrender is the place of salvation. The place where Jonah finally says, okay, God, I surrender. I surrender. He begins to talk about how in that moment, salvation comes. Listen, listen to me. Because he's in the belly of this fish, right? His situation didn't change. His circumstance didn't change. Nothing happened outwardly, but inwardly he found salvation in God because he finally surrendered. He found hope. And so he says salvation belongs to the Lord. That's chapter 2, verse 9. And the last verse in chapter 2, it says this. It says, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it, the fish, vomited Jonah out on dry land. At the end of the day, he's just laying there in a pool of vomit. It's pretty gross, right? But look at what happens in chapter 3. Because in chapter 3, we actually get to see one of the most beautiful pictures of grace. In chapter 3, we get to see grace to Jonah. We get to see grace to the people that he's called to. Have you ever been in that place where you feel like you don't deserve God's grace? Oh my gosh. That place where you feel like you're so far off, you're so far to the left or the right that you're, you feel like you're outside of God's grace. Well, in chapter 3, starting in verse 1, it says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. What's the next three words? A second time. Oh, hallelujah, right? I mean, have you ever been in that place where you're like, I just need a second chance. I just need to go again. You know, we used to play wiffle ball in my backyard all the time growing up, right? And, and you're playing, and you hit foul one off, and you're like, no, 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 that's a redo. I need a second chance. I need another pitch, right? And if, you, if you're you're your friends are full of grace, they would throw you another pitch, right? You just want a do-over. And Jonah's sitting there in this pool of vomit, knowing his hope is in God, and it says that the word of God came to him a second time. Grace is a second chance. Grace is a new beginning. Grace is the word of the Lord coming a second time. You know what grace is? Grace is an undeserved unmerited gift of God. It's an, it's an unearned, unmerited favor that God shows us, that he gives us. And so listen, he receives this gift that he doesn't deserve. You know what Jonah deserves? He deserves the fish. He deserves to die. Because watch this, watch this. Jonah did not only not do what God asked him to do, but Jonah actually started going in the other direction, right? Okay, so here's us. God's word comes to us. We hear God's word. We feel God tugging on our hearts. We feel the pull of the Holy Spirit, and most of us just do nothing. Jonah didn't just not do it. He actually said, I'm not doing that, and I'm going the opposite direction, that's like disobedience on top of disobedience, right? 
And so listen, he, he deserves to die, but God shows him grace because God didn't leave him. God didn't leave him stranded there. God didn't leave him all alone. And listen, some of you, you feel like you're far from God. You feel like maybe you've, you've not only not done what God asked you to do, but, but maybe you're here today and you've just really went the other direction. You actually went opposite of what God was telling you to do. So instead of giving generously, you actually take more. Things like that. And so maybe you're here today and, and you can be encouraged because God didn't leave Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. He gave him a second chance. God showed him grace. Now listen, I'm not telling you that that you're not good enough. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not telling you that what you did was not wrong. I, I know that you've probably messed up, but, but listen, there is not a sin in your past, in your current reality, or in your future that trumps the grace of God. There is not a sin that you are currently struggling with or that you've struggled with in the past or that you'll struggle with tomorrow that goes beyond the grace of God. There's not a sin out there that can do it. Listen, because all of your sins were future sins when Jesus went to the cross. And so all of your sins were covered through the cross. All of your sins can be covered through God's grace. It's good news that Jesus died. He paid the penalty for all your sins, all your unrighteousness, and all the ways you actually went the other direction. Jesus paid for it all. He absorbed the wrath of God toward it all, all of our disobedience. And if we would come to faith in him, if we would put our trust in him, if we would surrender to him, he gives us a new life. He gives us a new chance. He gives us second hopes. He gives us unconditional, unmerited grace, free of shame, free of guilt, free of condemnation. There's not a man or a woman in this room whose sin has more power than the cross of Jesus. The cross and the resurrection is what we cling to for our hope. God is a God of second chances. He is a God of new beginnings. And now I need you to hear me because I think in your head you know that. But in your heart, God's not given up on you. I need you to know that God's not forsaken you. Maybe you find yourself in the darkest place you've ever found yourself. Maybe you found yourself in the belly of a fish. Maybe you find yourself just covered in and nastiness of your life hear me god has not given up on you he's not and so when we read that god came to jonah a second time i pray that something in your heart would say hallelujah there's hope for jonah there's hope for me there's hope in the cross and so the word of god came to him again and i can't tell you how thankful i am to hear that so many here today, you need the word of God to come to you. Maybe you're here and you need the word of God to come to you again, right? I, I need the Holy Spirit to come 
to me again because I remember when I was here, God's word came to me and I didn't do, I didn't, I didn't respond, I didn't surrender, I didn't give my life to him, I didn't, I didn't walk the way that he wanted me to walk, I didn't, I didn't chase him like I should have chased him. And here I am years later, weeks later, months later, and here I am needing God to just reach out to me again, to come to me again. Listen, he does do it. Some of you, you you've just, you're just playing this game where you're, where you're dating God. You're just, you're just romancing him. You're just playing this game, this dating game. So you're dating the church and you're dating the world. And basically what you're doing is you're cheating on God with this other worldly stuff. And you're saying, oh, you know, I love the idea of Jesus. I love the idea of what Jesus can give me. I love the idea of that there's hope in Jesus, right? But you don't love Jesus. You just kind of love these things, and you put Jesus' name on it. And you're just simply dating the church. You know what Jesus calls that? He calls that lukewarm. He says, you're not hot. You're not cold. You're just kind of lukewarm, you play this game, you just kind of go to church, you kind of do this thing, but you're never really surrendered to me. You've never really given your life to God for whatever reason. And I pray that today the word of God will come to you in such a way that you would begin to just surrender all of your life and all of your time and all of your energies to God because joy is at stake. Others of you, maybe you're like Jonah and you know God. And you just need to hear God's voice for a second time saying, hey, step up. Hey, move forward. Hey, let's walk in this. Hey, let's go here. Let's do this thing. Today I prayed that you would experience the grace of God. And it would lead you to a place of surrender. Because in the place of surrender is the place of salvation. And so verse 2. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah a second time. He says, arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. That's the same thing he told them in chapter 1. He says, arise and go. And so if you've got your Bibles, you got a little pen out, I want you to circle the word go or write that word go down. Because what's interesting to me is I found out that that word go is actually made up of two separate Hebrew words. The first one is pronounced kum. Everyone say kum. It, it's, it's spelled Q-U-W-M. It's really weird. Kum. And the second word is yalak. Everyone say yalak. That's what the fish said. Yalak. Right? <laughs> Sorry. So you've got, you've, got, you've got kum and you've got this word alak. And when you put them together, it basically means go now. Go immediately. Go urgently. Go suddenly. Go now. Don't waste any more time. It's time to go now. Now listen to me. When God gives you a second chance, you go immediately, right? I mean, you go now. When God says, look, I spared you. And listen, maybe you need to spend three days in darkness. Maybe you need to reach that lowest of low so that you would be able to say, okay, 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 I'm going Immediately, when God gives you another chance, you kum yalak, you go immediately. Maybe, maybe God's calling you to reach out to someone. Maybe God's asking you to apologize to someone. 
Oh, no, no, I know they were in the wrong, right? But, but hear me, maybe, maybe you need to offer them some forgiveness. Maybe you need to offer them some grace. Maybe you need to go and make things right. Maybe you need to repent of some sin that's holding you down. Maybe you need to go and tell somebody, or maybe you need to go and make a disciple. I mean, that's the commission that he gives us. And so I don't know what it is, but maybe today God's given you a new start, a new chance And so that you would go, arise and go immediately. What if, I dream of this, what what if this was a church of people that said yes to God? What What if this house was full of men and women? And when God speaks, we would just say, Yes, yes, whatever it costs, whatever it takes, I will arise and I will go. What if there was a church? What if there was a church in the middle of a city, a city of 80,000 people, a, a small group of people that would just, when the word of the Lord comes, we would say yes to God. We would say yes to, to God and no to everything else that holds us back. What if there was a church like that? What difference would that make in our city? Look, look at what it says. He says, he says so, so go now, arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. And so, verse 3, Jonah arose and he went to Nineveh. According to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Three days' journey in breath. So so it would take you three days to get across it. And Jonah began to go into the city. Now, look in verse 4. I want you to circle or write down that word, began. Circle that word, began. That word, began, literally means to untie or to loosen. The word began. So Jonah began. It means that he began to untie or he began to loosen or he began to throw off or he began to let go of whatever it is that was holding him back that was keeping him from going to Nineveh. It says that he began, he began to throw off everything that slowed him down. Now, I don't know what he's carrying because he just got threw up by a fish. So this means that he's got to throw off probably something in here. He's probably got to put aside, he's got to let loose of something that's going on in here two weeks ago. In chapter 2, we spent a whole week on verse 8. Remember that? Chapter 2, verse 8, it says, Those who cling or pay regard to vain idols, they forsake their hope of steadfast love. Those who cling to control, those who cling to, to comfort, those, those who cling to self-provision, those who cling to vain idols, things of this world, they forsake, they forfeit Hope of steadfast love. It's like God's love is reaching out to you. He wants to grab you. He wants to bring you into himself. He wants to make you his very own. And if you're so busy clinging to these 
vain idols. It's like you forfeit the love of God that could be yours and the hope that comes with it. Another translation, it says this. It says, those who cling to vain idols forfeit the hope and the love of God that could be theirs. So this, this is what Jonah did. Before he could go, before he began into the city, he had to let go of some things. In order to start in the direction that God wanted him to go, he had to loosen himself. He had to give up some things. He had to untie some things that he was holding on to. He had to throw it off. Listen, in order for you to arise and obey what God's calling you to do, you'll probably have to untie some things. God always calls us to a place of surrender. In order for you to walk and go where the word of the Lord calls you to go, you're probably going to have to loosen some things. You're probably going to have to let go of some things. You're probably going to have to throw off some things. And so to arise and go in the word of the Lord, you're going to have to let go. You're going to have to let go of fear. So many people, I can't tell you how many people I talk to, they're just chained by fear. Well, I'm afraid what's going to happen. Don't you think Jonah's afraid? He's about to walk into the city of his enemies. And you know what they're known for? Killing fools. He's about to walk in the middle of that city. Don't you think he's going to have to throw off some fear? He's going to have to throw off some some control. He's going to have to throw off some comfort. I mean, he probably stinks like, oh, I'm not, I, I have no way to present to these people. God is calling every one of us to a place of surrender. Every one of us. Some of you, you're going to need to throw off some stuff. You're going to need to untie some things. You're going to need to let loose of something probably in here. Because if it's not loose in here, it's not going to be loose out here. Because you can say with your lips one thing and believe in your heart another. And so some of you, you're going to have to let go of some things that God's calling you to do. Some of you, it's going to be self-will. Some of you, it's going to be financial security. Some of you, it's going to be comfort. Some of you, it's going to be some type of control over some area of your life that you just can't let go of. Some of you, it's going to be your reputation. You're so afraid of what other people are going to think or say about you or that you're not going to have a right answer or you're going to look like a fool. You're going to need to let that go. What's God calling you to surrender? Because your joy is at stake. If you don't let go, you can't move forward. And the word of the Lord wants to use you. Salvation comes when we surrender. And so God says, arise and go. And so Jonah, in verse 4, he began to rise. And so look, look at it with me again. Jonah began to go into the city. Going a day's journey. So, so if, it, if the city is three days across, then about a day in, so about a third of the way in, he's probably right in the middle of the group of people. Right? Imagine what's going through his mind at this point. He's going, okay, I'm going to have to preach a message. I'm going to have to preach a message to these people who are violent towards me, who hate me, and they will probably kill me. 
So maybe I should come with some, some health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. Maybe, maybe, maybe I should come with turn to Jesus and you'll never get sick again. Or come to Jesus and your kingdom will grow. Or come to Jesus and things won't ever go bad for you. Or just have enough faith and everything's going to be fine. <laughs> Look what he says. The word of the Lord is a little more harsh than that. Jonah goes into the city a day's journey, calls out, yet 40 days, Nineveh shall be, give me that word, overthrown. Jonah preaches an eight-word message. Oh, those were the days, weren't they? He walks in the city, takes out his bullhorn, his microphone or whatever, and he says, is this thing on? Okay, 40 days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. <laughs> He's out of there. The message was short, it was direct, and it was offensive. It was offensive. And so what I want you to do is in your Bibles, I want you to circle this word overthrown. I want you to write down this word overthrown. Because this word in the Hebrew actually has two meanings. Now listen, he actually preached five words in the original text, eight words in English. So it's actually shorter than you think. And so he says, he says in 40 days... Nineveh will be overthrown. This word has two meanings. Overthrown. It can either mean to be destroyed or it can mean to be changed forever. Either destroyed or changed forever. 40 days, Nineveh, you will either be destroyed or you'll be forever changed. That's the message. That's the message that he gives. And I want to tell you, with all the love that I have for you, I want to be as honest as I can with you. You can either continue to play this game. You can either continue to date the church and date the world and do this kind of thing. You can either live your life without Christ and be destroyed or you can come to Jesus and be changed forever. Short, powerful, offensive, yeah. Life without Jesus, you'll be destroyed. But come to Jesus you can be changed forever. He preaches short, direct, and offensive. And look in verse 5 what it says. And the people of Nineveh believed God. Listen. They didn't, they didn't believe Jonah. It says that they believed God. 
It says they, it's like they heard straight from God. It's like they heard the voice of God coming to them, and they believe God. Why is it so important that they believe God and not just some pastor or preacher or some prophet? Because salvation belongs to the Lord, and we respond to the Lord, and we believe in the Lord. We believe in his word, and we believe God. And so this says that they believed in God. They believed in God. They called for a fast, all of them. They put on sackcloth. From the greatest to the least. Now imagine this. In the Old Testament, fasting was a symbol of humility. They would fast. They would go without food. They would go without drink. They would fast. They would humble themselves before God. Because they believed God, they humbled themselves before God. And sackcloth and ashes was a symbol of repentance. And so not only did they humble themselves before God by fasting, but they actually put on repentance. They took off their clothes. Now, sackcloth, they would have been miserable. It would have been itchy, burlap, like that stuff that's around your chairs. I mean, it flakes off. It leaves dust. It's itchy and it's nasty. It's not pretty. That's why you don't see any dresses made out of that stuff. They take off their garments and they put on repentance. Sackcloth, it's, it's a physical reminder of their sin. That they will be destroyed because of their sin. Now look in verse 6. Well, verse 5 again, it says, They called for a fast, put on sackcloth, the greatest, from the greatest of them to the least of them. And so, and so from the highest guy to the lowest guy, to the, to the richest guy, to the most pagan guy, to the most powerful guy, to the least powerful guy, every one of them, greatest to least, put on sackcloth. And the word, it reached the king of Nineveh. And he rose from his throne. The king actually gets off his throne. He removes his robe. He removes his crown. He removes his garments because the king would not be seen without his robe or his crown. That's his power. That's his authority. But he actually takes off his rule. He takes off his authority. He surrenders. He takes off his robe and he covered himself with sackcloth. And he sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and the nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Nobody's eating anything. Let them not feed or drink water. But let man and beast be covered in sackcloth. Let every man and beast put on repentance and let them cry out mightily to God. And so he issues a decree. Every man, every beast, every animal, every person puts on repentance, covers themselves in sackcloth, including the animals. What'd they do? You got to get this picture. Get this picture. And so everyone's fasting. Even the animals. I, I heard that if you don't feed cattle for a day, 
you can hear their moves from over a half a mile. So you, okay, here's one you'll relate to. You don't feed your kids for a half an hour. <laughs> you can hear their cries from a half a mile away, right? And so imagine this. Every man, every bull, every cow, every goat, every horse, every donkey, every camel, every chicken, everything is starving. What does that city sound like? Everyone. It says, look at, look at what it says in the end of verse 8. It says, let everyone do what? Call out mightily to God. Let us not call on God flippantly or, you know, tritely. Let us call out to God mightily. Let us groan for God. Let us long for God. Let us hunger for God. Let us put ourselves, put on righteous, put on repentance so that God would show up. God, change us, not just with our words, but with our actions. Everyone crying out mightily to God. Look in verse 9. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Who knows? Maybe God will give us a second chance. Maybe. Maybe God will spare us. Maybe God will relent. Maybe God will show his steadfast, unveiling, never-ending, never-ceasing, unmerited grace and favor and love towards us. Maybe. Let's just put on repentance and let us come to God. Cry out mightily to God. Did you know in 2 Corinthians 7, it says that godly grief, it produces a repentance that leads to salvation, whereas worldly grief produces death. There's two types of grief. There's a worldly grief and say, oh, I'm sorry because pastor told me I should be sorry. Oh, I'm, you know, I'm not doing what I know that God should have me be doing, but I'm, you know, just doing it. But there is a godly grief where you clothe yourself in repentance. You sit yourself in ashes and you fast and you cry out to God, God, have mercy on me. If we would just believe God, if we would somehow get to a point where we can, we can be serious about our sins, if we could be honest with where we are before God, if we can genuinely put on repentance, mightily calling out to God, listen, he will show himself faithful and true. He will relent and show you grace and mercy, and he will take off your repentance and put on salvation. He will take off your grief and he will put on joy. He will take off your filth and he will put on righteousness. That's what God does. He's the God of second chances. He's the God of new beginnings. Because of Jesus, we can put on repentance and he can clean us. If we would believe God, we would see him rich in mercy. I want you to know that I really ache for the spiritual condition of this church. I really do. I mean, this week I was telling these guys, 
in our meeting. I really had to repent this week for just my failure in leadership. And I say that because, because when I look at the American church, I don't think we take the gospel seriously. I think, I think we could care less about repentance. I think so many people, maybe, maybe here, you, you, just, you could care less about obedience to the gospel. You could care less about following Jesus. You could care less about worship. You could care less about building one another up in love. You could care less about accountability and community. You just care less about those things. We just simply want to go to church and do life as normal. That's what we want. Let me tell you something. Christian life is not life as normal. It's not. It can't be. The Christian life is not just life as normal. The Christian life is life full of faith and full of repentance and full of sacrifice and full of worship and full of surrender. That's what it is, the dying to self. And honestly, I don't, I don't know what else to do but repent. That's all I came to this week was we just need to repent. You know what we cry out for? We cry out for more potlucks and get together and fun community activities. Yet we've ignored the call of God to be honest with God and repent before him. We, we neglect getting together and building one another up. We neglect the call of God to actually get into life groups or do mission together. And listen, that's not an hour a week thing. But we don't sacrifice. We don't give. Because you know what? It doesn't fit my schedule. I'm here building my kingdom of comfort rather than giving myself away. And you know what? We, we need to repent because we say we're followers of Christ, yet we've never put down our nets. Jesus says, follow me. Put down your nets. Follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. And you're just still throwing them out. Well, I got to feed my family. I got to feed this. I got to make a living. I got to do those things. Listen, that's not bad, but Jesus calls us to a life of sacrifice, a life of repentance. We call ourselves the Christians. We never put down our nets, much less taken up our cross. We need to repent for our ungodliness. People say, sackcloth and ashes, please. That would mess up my everything is fine mask. It would get me a little dirty. People would look at me weird. Who cares? God is a God that is worthy of all of ourselves, of complete sacrifice. So let me just be short, direct, and offensive here. You can either be destroyed or you can be forever changed. You can live your life lukewarm, but in the end, it doesn't work out. Listen, if you know you're hot, you know you're hot. If you're cold, you know you're cold. And if you're lukewarm, you don't know if you're either. You'll either be destroyed or you'll be forever changed. So maybe you're here and you're hearing the word of God come to you today. May you, kum yalak, may you respond immediately to him.
Maybe you're here and the word of God is coming to you a second time. And you're receiving the grace of God towards you. May you arise and go and begin and throw off everything that's keeping you from obeying. Maybe, maybe you're like Nineveh and you just need to put on repentance. Either way, it all starts with repentance. It all starts with repentance. It all starts with throwing things off so that you can begin. And you know what happens after that? Calling out mightily to God. Calling out to God. God showed Jonah grace. God showed Nineveh grace. And I believe that God wants to show each one of you grace today. I pray that Life Point Church would be a church that bears much fruit. Listen, I'm not even talking about converts. I'm not even talking about keep people coming to faith because we've seen a lot of that and we will continue to see a lot of that. But I'm talking about growing in the Lord, growing in obedience, taking seriously the call of God to make disciples and to proclaim his name. I want to close today as the, as the band comes up. I want to close today with a, with a sermon excerpt I heard from John Piper. out of Hebrews chapter 12. It starts off. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also. Okay. It's not just gathering as a cloud of witnesses. That's not what we're called to. It's not just coming into a place, coming into a house, filling the seats and filling the building. He says, but because we're here in a big cloud of witnesses, let us also act. Let us also move. It says, let us also Lay aside every weight and every sin that clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. It says, let us lay aside. Let us throw off everything that entangles us. It says, let us throw off every sin and every weight Everything, sins and weights, not just sins. So he says, don't just lay aside sins that slow you down, but everything, every other weight, everything, every temptation, every fear, every insecurity, every, every weight that gets in your Wait, listen, he says, he says, don't just ask, is it a sin? Trying to justify your actions, trying to justify your lifestyle, trying to justify, hey, don't just ask what's wrong with it. Come on, I'm living my life, I'm doing my thing, what's wrong with it? Is it a sin? That's not the question that we should be asking. The question that we should be asking is not, is it a sin 
or what's wrong with it. The question is, does it help me run? Does it help me chase God? Does it help me become more righteous and more patient and more hopeful and more loving and more giving and more sacrificial? Does it help you run? Or does it get in your way? Does it get in the way of you hearing the voice of God? Does it compel you to arise and go? Does it get in your way or does it help you run? And so today, church, may we lay aside every sin for sure, but also everything else that gets in the way. Eric, how do we do that? Well, verse 2, it says, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Today, church, let us put on repentance and let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Look at Jesus. Call upon Jesus. He endured the wrath of God on your behalf. He defeated sin. He defeated death. He defeated the grave. He rose to life, bringing new life. To all who would believe, John 6, 37, it says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Wherever you are today, all around you are these strips of sackcloth. Maybe today you need to grab one of those. Maybe it's something that you're struggling with. Maybe it's something that you've been weighing you down. Maybe it's some sin that you can't seem to control. Maybe it's something that God is saying, do this, and you haven't. Maybe you need to take that piece of sackcloth and clothe yourself in a symbol of repentance. Put it around you. Put it around you to show that you are serious about walking with God and throwing off every weight so that you can begin. Today, clothe yourself in repentance. Clothe yourself in humility. Call out to God mightily because he is a God that gives second chances. He is a God that brings new life. As these guys lead us in a song of repentance, I'm going to ask you, what is it? What is it you need to repent of? What is the repentance that you need to throw off? What is the thing that's entangling you or holding you down so that you have a hard time running. Put on repentance and cry out to God mightily. What would it look like if the church did that? Some of you, maybe you've been in church for a long time, maybe you haven't. I'm probably guessing 
it's been a long time since you've been in a church that actually called for repentance. Let's go. Let's go. Let's clothe ourselves and cry out to God. Lord Jesus, here I am before you, O Lord, asking you to give me brokenness over my sin, brokenness over my disobedience. And today I come before you and I clothe myself with repentance in all the ways that I've fallen short, all the ways that I've heard your voice and walked the other way, all the ways that I've built my kingdom, my self-comforting life, rather than a life of surrender today, God, before you and your throne, I repent. I repent. And I clothe myself in sackcloth and ashes and cry out to you, the God of salvation. It belongs to you, O oh Lord. You and you alone. Save me, O oh Lord. Show your grace and your mercy again today. Lord, I pray. Thanks for listening to this week's message. LifePoint Church exists to engage, encourage, and equip through the gospel for the glory of God. Therefore, it is our prayer that the word of God would be an encouragement to your heart and lead you into a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. If you would like to support the ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at thelifepointconnection.com slash give. May God bless and may your life point to Christ everywhere in every way.